It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hello and welcome to the Football Fanalytics Podcast in association with 23. This is the show that explores the ever-growing world of football analytics and takes on the many tactical and topical discussions within the game. It's episode 66 and we are talking about formations this week. My name is Ryan Bailey and joining me is Mark Carey, a man who has recently returned from the Stats Bomb. What do you call it? The Stats Bomb what conference? Stats Bomb conference, right? Just the Stats, <laughs> Stats Bomb conference, Bomb conference. Not, not the Stats Bomb ultra conference or something like that. It's the it's the Stats Bomb conference. If, it's the last time we saw. If only it each were, other. yeah, something different. It's uh, is it an ultra <laughs> an ultra conference? <laughs> I mean, yeah, if only it were. But no, I had uh, a great time at the the conference uh, earlier this week. Uh, so a lot of familiar faces of people um, that fortunately I, I know within the football analytics space, um, and met a few new people, which was. Hugely enjoyable. Um, met a few fans of the Football Fanalytics podcast, which is Did really you? nice. Um, so shout out to Michael and to Mead, who came up to me very kindly and said that they are a fan of the, the work that we do. Keep up the good work. So wow. a little pat on the back for, for both of us there. Um, so yeah, it's it's really fun to see and to know that the say the work that we're doing, the fun that we're having is, uh, is reaching people and hopefully helping people in, in terms of their analytics journey which is uh, oh. which is great to, to see and to hear so yeah shout out to yeah. those guys and for anyone else who enjoys our work uh, or wants us to do our other work. other work other um other topics on this this podcast then get in touch they know how to do it this is the most celebrity like i've ever felt <laughs> two people coming up to you at a conference and saying they like the football analytics podcast so yeah i'll take that no, we get nothing to um, do with my work just our work yeah yeah well obviously um in my head, a stats bomb conference like that is, you know, when they get all the world leaders in like the 
the Pentagon or something like that in like films, and then it's like, what happens if the you know if if there's a if there's a a nuclear attack on like where all the world leaders are? Is that like the same with all the all the basically the analytics people in the world are in one space just like doing it, and then it's left to people like me? <laughs> you all go down, yeah, yeah. I mean, to carry I'd, on I'd, flying the flying the flag. I'd love to say yes. I'd love to say that there was. Uh, <laughs> extensive security to ensure that we were protected for the That's whole Tom day. Yeah. But sadly not. I never actually thought of it like that. Um no, I don't place that much importance on the necessarily the work that I certainly do, but maybe for others in the room there were some big names there to be fair. I was uh I was fanboying a little bit even from people I didn't get to speak to, but just recognizing their their face. Um so yeah. Turns out people are fanboying you as well, which is, well, which is great. I well, us shall we say yeah. um yeah. but no no honestly it was such a good conference it's it's good to obviously see the the talks the research that's going on sort of learn so much from it but i think as much as anything it is just the networking of chatting with people um in those breaks and, and after the conference to to just nice. share ideas and share how everyone's getting on so um yeah really productive day um and yeah made made my ego a little bit bigger which is always helpful Excellent. Well, I'm trying to think what other news I've got that uh, comes close to a good conference. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing I can think of is that I've played my last ever game of FIFA 22. Uh, <laughs> that's literally it. Uh, because FIFA 23 gets released this week. Would so, you ever? Uh, would you ever go back? Like, have you ever played like FIFA 17? No. Do you know what though? There are some years which I think this is gameplay wise one of the best mm-hmm. which I actually think FIFA 22 has been that I don't know if that's a controversial opinion or not FIFA 20 was awful right um, was it FIFA 21 that was awful one of the 20 or 21 was really bad yeah. it was really sort of robotic and weird gameplay but 22 has been really good um, but no I find that the it bothers me if the the sort of the lineups and the teams are you know dated um, and that's also fair. I play FIFA Ultimate Team which means that you, you basically you You'd be out. You wouldn't be playing against anyone else because everyone else moves on to the yeah. new FIFA. So, yeah, a little bit. Although this one, I think this is the last ever FIFA that they're doing. This what? the one they've released this year. I think EA Sports are no longer going to be associated with FIFA. It's going to be now under a different umbrella. It was, it was in the news a couple of months ago that they kind of their agreement has ended. So FIFA as that. we know it, yeah, yeah, FIFA as we know it and love it, um, comes to an end this year. So this is the final ever one. I don't know if they're going to be pulling out all the stops or whatever, but it will become a new umbrella game wow. basically so you will no longer be saying oh do you want a game of fifa you'll be saying do you want a game of whatever it's called <laughs> insert um, line yeah. here i mean we should do insert an episode on fifa that could be really good especially given the metrics that go into to all yeah. of the you know the fifa games and the, the ratings and all things like that we should we should try and do an episode on it yeah they i mean they last year and i think i told you in another episode they introduced obviously expected goals things like that yeah. but you can kind of see like shot maps and pass maps and uh average positions and stuff which is which is quite strange when you when you're watching it to a FIFA audience they still obviously have the classic rating system uh which which is good which actually I was gonna I was gonna do a little um cheeky little quiz uh on the ratings because there's been a few controversial ones um fun fact the uh highest rated player on FIFA 23 is uh you know Alexia Alexia? I did know Alexia Patelas, yes. Alexia Patelas, who we obviously saw live last year. Um, but I think Messi is rated 91 on FIFA, and she is rated 92, which means she's technically the highest player on the game, nice. which I thought was quite Unfortunately good. Unfortunately injured, so we wish her all the best. Mm. But quick higher or lower for you. I'm not just going to do the top ones. You basically have to tell me who is higher or lower. 
uh, out of these players. I'm going to look at this image here. Right. So are we, we going? Are we going with? This, you're going to present me two people, or are you going to start with one and their rating, I'm gonna, and then go? I'm going to start off with one rating, and you have to tell me if these people are higher Fine. or lower. Fine. Going to start off with Alfonso Davies of Bayern Munich. He is rated 84. Okay. Okay. 94 pace which is quite a fun, yeah, yeah. fun fact but yeah Alfonso Davies Hi, oh I haven't said another name <laughs> <laughs> waiting for waiting for that to yeah, come out yeah. ready when you are <laughs> brilliant um, Christian Pulisic okay so then 84 I would say lower I'd say Pulisic maybe 82 Oh, okay. He's actually 82. Bravo. Are you joking? Yeah. Yeah. I I promise you, I've got nothing in front of me. This is great. You're looking at the same FIFA image as me. Uh, Jude Bellingham. Jude Bellingham. I was going to say he's got to be higher. I think he would be higher. Um, Still obviously very young, which may be playing into it. He might be, and I promise you, I'm not looking at anything, 86, so I'd say higher? No. Well, he is higher, but he is 84. Okay. Okay. Which I think, I don't know. I, I I think... For a, for a someone who's still, they never go too bold with their ratings. I mean, they, you know, they never drop or raise someone too high. Mm. I think you could argue that Jude Bellingham actually in real life could warrant a higher sort of card, couldn't you? But um, I think because he's 19 and it's only like his third season of say. playing yeah. top level, I think they'd never go too bold. Uh, another youngster though, Pedri of Barcelona. Pedri, again, very, very well thought of. Then 84, despite what you just said and given that he is very young as well I would say maybe 86 so higher it's higher but 85 uh, okay Eight, 86 would be I'm bold sticking to Jack even Grealish. numbers um, mm. Jack Grealish because he is more well established I'd say well actually no because we're getting pretty high now aren't we 86 is pretty high pretty high um, well it was higher than 85 wasn't it um, I'd maybe maybe say lower then this is turning into a shit game because you're getting them all right. Oh, he is lower, yes. What, what <laughs> yeah. number? He's 84, um, which I think on the last FIFA he was higher than that. So that's interesting. Um, damn it, I need to trip you up. Um, <laughs> I love this game. Okay, actually, actually then, I'm not sure which way you're going to go with this. Kai Havertz. Mm, Kai Havertz compared with 84. Um, mm. uh, well, it's, it's impacted upon the season they've had. So I'd say lower maybe 81 oh no he's actually also 84 oh, um, oh that's but just he's, unfair well you, you could have said the same um, 81 though it would be pretty harsh wouldn't it Kai Havertz although he's 84 it, mm. the way, I suppose you know, I mean, have a great season yeah probably early 80s I mean can I just mm. say for the record we're playing the game higher or lower and you said the same I think for yeah, the listeners fair. it should be on my side here that that was a curveball but we'll fair fair final we'll one then Who's higher out of Song Hyun Min and Vinicius Junior? Oh, that is a good one. Um, I'd give the, the hype would be Vinicius, wouldn't it? But I'd give the edge to Son. I don't know the numbers, you, but I'd give the edge to Son. I'd, you are correct. Can you get? Can you get what the numbers would be? I'd go. <laughs> I'm just making this up. 86 versus 87. No, 89 for Son actually. Right, fair, Very highly rated. Fair. Within the top sort of 15, I think. Yeah. And Vinicius is 86. Okay. 86. Yeah. So I got the 86 right then. 86 yeah. Wow. I mean, that, that was fun. You did very well. Basically, I realised that this game was going to be hard after I'd already started doing it because I realised that of the 13 that I've got in front of me, 
seven of them were 84 so i was like i don't really have much <laughs> i don't really have much higher or lower scope here to play but i'd already started i mean anyway going i suppose it's going right down the the list how low does it because you don't get someone who's like a seven do you i think is the, is the baseline no. is it 60 up i'm gonna google it but no it's not 60 up. i think it's in the 50s hang on lowest fifa rating Okay, well, I can't actually find it on Google, but that's actually a good question for the listeners then. If someone can find me the lowest player for FIFA 23, we'd like to know that. I know that on FIFA 22, there was a player called Collins who was 47. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, so I don't think they ever go any lower than that because that'd be sort of... I I always think like what, you know, if we were actual in real life, if we had a FIFA rating, like would we be like 13 or something like that? Do you know what I mean? I don't even think I've made the... I mean, certainly recently, not played for a year, but... (laughs) I don't think we'd even make a number. That's such no. is the level of mm. how good they are that we wouldn't even make yeah. a number. I'd be like a 0.1. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. No, give yourself a 0.2. It'd be okay. nice. Um, anyway, enough of these shenanigans. Uh, should we talk about what we're actually meant to be talking yeah, about? Yeah, love that game. But let's uh, let's get into some hard cold facts. Okay, so Mark, this strikes me as another one of those topics where Perhaps it's a bit strange that we're at episode 66 and we haven't done a full episode on uh, formations, which you kind of formations are always interspersed in in general football chat, aren't they? Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised we haven't sort of done a formations specific chat up until this point. Yeah, maybe not a dedicated one. Of course, we will have spoken about formations throughout all of the episodes that we've done, um, but not necessarily maybe a... A dedicated one. Um, also, yeah. episode 66, shout out to Trent Alexander-Arnold, by the way, just in terms <laughs> of numbers. Our boy, number 66. Yeah. Um, just because you mentioned it. Well, he's a man who defies the formations, really, doesn't he? Because he's a right-back. and he Did you do that on purpose? No, absolutely he's not. A, he's a right-back, but he finds himself sitting in central midfield, doing whatever he wants of, of late. Absolutely unintentional, but it is absolutely the crux of this episode, <laughs> which is more of, a, I guess, a thought experiment to basically pose the question are formations even reliable anymore? And when I say reliable, I mean when you're looking at, you know, a starting formation, you know, whether it's a team sheet, whether you're looking on an app or online as to how the team is set up, is that a reliable source of information to actually understand what the team is looking to do in that game? Well, it feels like it's kind of like uh, when, it's a purpose that when they're lined up on TV and it tells you the pre-match formation, it feels like that, it's basically for them to run through the team, doesn't it? As opposed to the ironclad, what it's going to be. Because very often you'll see they've put down what they think the formation mm-hmm. is going to be. And very quickly, it's apparent that they're not doing that at all. Yeah, which is true, which is, could be a reflection of the modern game. Is it that it was kind of more reliable in years gone by? Or has it always been sort of fairly fluid? And we'll kind of unpick why we might say that, thinking about things like in possession, out of possession, the, the game state, um, whether it is winning, losing, drawing, whether you're down to 10 players, you know what I mean? Um, so many different factors, of course, there. But yeah, are they are they reliable? I mean, I was looking about this before this, this episode and I saw a, a quote from Pep Guardiola saying that formations are nothing more than telephone numbers. Of course, Guardiola would say that. Is, I mean, I don't know how true that was that he said that, but it's quoted with him, which I think would kind of make sense. And I think that, it's one of those as well where, as you say, if you see it on the, the television before the game, sometimes they, they do get it wrong. But if you were to actually obviously be in the stadium or have a screenshot of the the, the players on the pitch at a moment in time, 
in or out of possession, which again is an interesting point, would you see a 4-2-3-1? Would you see a 4-4-2 of how mm. that team is, is intended to set up based on what you kind of infer? The, the roles of different players are going to be completely different for a right back, yeah. as you say. Like the, the remit of Trent Alexander-Arnold as a right back versus Vladimir Sofal, again, depending on whether he's playing right back, right wing back, whatever, is going to be very different. Uh, 4-4-2 for one side might be completely different in terms of the remit and the approach in and out of possession for another whether it is a 4-4-2 diamond, whatever it might be, you know, a 4-3-3, for example, is that having two holding midfielders in a double pivot? Is it having yeah. a single pivot where the remit of that defensive midfielder is to collect the, the ball off the centre-backs, they spread out, the, the full-backs go wide? You know, what is the remit of that? It, it does kind of show that the numbers associated with formations are kind of useless in yeah. giving information of what that team is going to do in that game. Absolutely. And I also didn't realise how relevant the FIFA chat would have been on uh, yeah. on this particular topic because that's the first thing you do, select your formation yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. with whatever team you're playing, which I think is probably a bit more rigid than it is in real life because you rarely get people just floating into centre mid when you want them to. Um, but yes, really good point. And actually that thing you say about in possession and out of possession. That's something that I think before we started doing this podcast, I never really would have thought too much about. But you, you, you'd see a total shift, don't you, when someone has the ball to when to when they don't in what they're playing. Because I think it was Man City. I saw a screenshot months and months ago, but it was basically saying that when they have the ball, they essentially play with like a sort of a weird five up front. Mm -hmm. It be, it becomes a it becomes a five and a five or a, or a four and a six basically, mm -hmm. rather than rather than them sticking to three midfielders and three attackers. Mm -hmm. Because the, the soon as they get the ball, their their sort of system and their their coaching changes and they obviously they know exactly when they've got possession with a certain player what they're meant to do because of what they've done on the training field so therefore it's almost like a formation movement do you know what I mean they move into these specific roles that they're then meant to play which doesn't fall in the categories of left midfielder or whatever no, completely. Does that make sense? completely it's it's patterns of play it's uh, mm. principles of play that all managers I suppose like to have but especially with Guardioli likes his wide attackers to pretty much hug the touchline get really wide so yeah. that he can stretch the pitch make sure that then the opposition's uh, fullbacks wingbacks whoever then have to kind of try and plug the gap then he gets those free eights within those uh, half yeah. spaces to then cover those sort of middle areas so you've got two in the wide channels two in the the half space and then kind of one centrally so that you've got players all across the pitch to be able to occupy you know opposition defenders or opposition yeah. midfielders whoever it may be so that then as you say kind of ends up being if you think about then the the center backs will stay as the two maybe those wing backs or sorry maybe those full backs will then tuck in as Guardiola likes them to do and then mm. the, the holding midfielder so in attack Manchester City are a two-three-five. Now you would never yeah, say yeah. that. That's you would never say see it written down. Oh, Man City are in a two-three-five formation today. It yeah, seems yeah. odd, but that's exactly the point that I'm making. That in and out of possession, it's completely different. And a lot of Premier League sides um, maybe would go into a, a five in midfield, maybe out of possession. But you think of yeah. Liverpool, I think, do this. Arsenal certainly do it. Where Martin Odegaard, um, especially, will end up being. A little bit more sort of push forward, but Arsenal out of possession would be a four four two. 
you can see I've seen yeah. it multiple times where they've they've been like this and obviously they were more playing in a four two three one now more of a four three three if we were going to do it in traditional methods um this yeah. season but out of possession they look more like a four four two and rarely would we ever say Arsenal are setting up in a four four two today. So yeah. I just think that there's there's so much, as is often the case, which is why we do this podcast. There's so much nuance and so many things to consider when we're talking about formations, which does beg the question: Are they becoming redundant because it is so fluid? Yeah, well, it feels like those things that you said before. You know, the terms like free eight, double pivot, etc. It's almost like the roles that managers sort of deploy uh, are more important than the actual formation doesn't it then they might not it might not care whether there are 4-3-3 three, three on the on the on paper at the start of the match but they know that within that they have two free eights and they have a sit, sit and hold the midfielder who's going to screen the defense etc so that therefore those roles that they sort of want from their team become more important don't they yeah and I think it's it's drilling down from what we're talking about here onto to the players as well so we say our formations redundant quote-unquote are positions also redundant when you're talking more about roles? Yeah. So would a defensive midfielder, you compare someone like Wilfred Ndidi, who is, whose job it is to pretty much break up the play, be a bit of a defensive destroyer, and then hand it to someone who can pass a little bit more like a Yuri Tiedemans. You mm. compare that with someone who's more of a deep-lying playmaker, um, I think someone maybe like Sergio Busquets traditionally, who granted has a lot of defensive awareness, but is far more graceful on the ball being able to play these sort of slider or passes into more advanced players they are yeah. both again quote unquote number sixes defensive midfielders but their remit is completely different for what their role yeah. is within the team so how could you Absolutely. how could you compare like for like if you were looking at all the defensive midfielders across Europe it's it's so dependent on what they're being asked to do which makes it really hard yeah. to look at things from a statistical perspective to say that they are in maybe this percentile of defensive midfielders so well you know yeah. of course they're going to be for a certain metric because they're not asked to do a lot of that you know they're not asked yeah. to do a lot of progressive passing for example you know what I mean um, which is where those radar things that you've done before come in handy don't they about the you know profile in certain players that you know do certain bits and exactly yeah yeah good shout actually going back to some of the early episodes that's right I said the word radar yeah where yeah. we spoke that's right yeah spoke about um, yeah analyses that, that I've done of profiling different midfielders and something which we actually done on, on site on the Athletic fairly recently John Muller um, has done some fantastic work at looking at player roles and how mm. much they a, a player can evolve as well over time to yeah. say that okay well they used to be this sort of player maybe like a Jude Bellingham for example he's so versatile yeah. he was more of a defensively minded midfielder a couple of seasons ago now he's a bit more of a um, he roams a little bit more a bit more box to box and things like that so yeah. it, it I think exactly as you say it speaks to more of an individual level of what a player's role is but you broaden that out and it's still the same principle of what the team is being asked to do as a formation yeah. Two four three threes Absolutely. could be completely different. Absolutely, and I wonder is is when we're talking about formations, how much do trends come into it and and stuff like that? Because I it'd be really interesting to look at the change in uh, you know in the nineties and whatever when four four two was the most prevalent thing going. Uh, wh when do you think that changed? But when managers started sort of experimenting more and it became more about tactical roles and positioning rather than. Oh, today we're we're playing with one up top and five at the back and hmm. blah blah blah. I mean, I don't know the answer to that question. I was watching something recently with um, 
Joe Cole was doing an interview with Harry Redknapp um, and he was yeah. talking about Harry Redknapp's time, well, Joe Cole's time at West Ham as well, of how they played with three at the back. This is probably going back to late 90s, maybe early 2000s. Yeah. Played at, played with three at the back and he's like, you know, Thomas Tuchel, Antonio Conte coming into the, the Premier League in, in years gone by and were supposed to be these tactical innovators who play three at the back and it's completely different. He said, we were doing that in the, the late 90s and I, I don't want to disrespect yeah. football historically to suggest that that isn't the case or hasn't been the case because we've spoken before about different formations. I think the, the WM formation and spoken about Hungary and how innovative they were yeah. remembering that yeah. um, that England destruction in the, in the 50s. So as we've always said before, football didn't start 10 years ago wasn't invented 10 years exactly. ago yeah. so uh, it's it's considering all of those things as well but there's obviously going to be tactical evolutions there's going to be cycles as well where I think you know you look at this season Erling Holland coming into the Premier League Darwin Nunes to a certain extent being having a bit more of a number nine mm. out and out striker centre forward presence has maybe changed the the way that these top teams are playing um, rather than it being more geared towards a false nine in years gone yeah. by, so you know, we should remember then that became a thing for the first time. That that when um, it's always it always comes down to Pep, doesn't it? It's so annoying. You always have to be like, oh, another Guardiola thing. But annoyingly, half the time it is. But what you know, sort of around two thousand nine when Messi was playing in like a false nine, and then that's what the Spanish teams did. It was such a thing, wasn't it, that we hadn't heard of? Whereas now we're going the opposite. It's almost like oh, they're playing with an actual number nine striker wow yeah. well it's whatever you need to do again which feeds into the formation thing it's whatever you need to do to overcome the opponent and sometimes yeah. the opponent can work out that if you're going to play in a false nine every time then we can think of ways to combat that or you know stick two defensive midfielders in front of the false nine so that there's less space for them to drop in or whatever it might be and now yeah. he's trying to think of different ways to do that as well and again coming back to the formation thing you think well it's never set in terms of how a manager will always set up in a 4-3-3 game yeah. to game depending on the opponent they'll set up in that 4-3-3 slightly differently they'll maybe gear it more towards one side whatever it might be that no two games are obviously the same and that's the manager's job to be able to try and break that down and is it that if I mean we had it I think last season I'm trying to think of the exact game but it might have been Chelsea against Spurs where there was an adaptation where or maybe it was this season as well. Tuchel versus Conte, basically. I think that yeah. the, the, the one adapted to the other to know that obviously Conte plays very systematically in a 3-4-3, three, three, previously a sort of a 3-5-2, but certainly three at the back that you can... One, basically, the point being, a team can typically play, for example, in a 4-3-3, but knowing full well that the opposition is set up in a, maybe a three at the back system, you can change yeah. that formation specifically for that game and maybe change it back within the game as well I think that Graham Potter is very good at that starting a game in a certain position realising that this might not be working um, there was a game I think Brighton against Fulham earlier this season which I wrote about earlier um, this month that he started off with a, a four at the back or maybe started off yeah. with a three at the back actually that wasn't working at all against Fulham. So he moved to a four within about 15 minutes that you can have that yeah. fluidity on paper. That would say that Brighton started with three at the back, but very quickly that changed because of what was happening in the game and the strength of the opponent. So yeah, it's probably a long winded answer to what you sort of said, but I think that there's just so much nuance to it that how a team finishes in a formation can be very different to how they start it. 
how they play in possession can be very different to how they play out of possession. Whether they're winning or drawing can be very different to how they set when they're losing. Again, I ask the question to you, Ryan, are formations redundant? Well, that feels like a much deeper question than I thought about at the beginning of this episode. So uh, let me think about that one. Mark, this is exciting. Why don't you tell the listeners about our new collaboration with Spitch? Tell them what Spitch is. So Spitch is basically a live fantasy football manager app and you can pit yourself against other managers basically. And the fun thing is that you can win real money in the process. And what's great is that you can compete across multiple leagues worldwide. So rather than just the fantasy Premier League that we do, you can compete in other leagues like the German Bundesliga, the Premier League, of course, and others like the Champions League and the Europa League. I mean, if it was like Fantasy Premier League, then we'd win absolutely nothing. But it's not like Fantasy Premier League because the difference is you can create a brand new lineup for each match day. So basically, no more selection regret when a player you've chosen is going through a bad run of form. And what else is different, Mark? Well, I think it's right up our street because it goes into greater depth with the analytics side, which is so true to the Football Fanalytics podcast. So it awards points for basically every action on the pitch. So things like passes, tackles, blocks, Blocks and shots, everything that you can think of, all count towards your match score. So for the first time ever, we can cheer on a pot shot from miles away. Exactly. So make sure you sign up, download the app and register now. Once you've registered, you can join the Football Fanalytics Podcast League. So come and get involved, play against me and Mark. The link is in our bio. Join Spitch now. Something I did want to ask about, I've very often seen graphics and uh, visualizations the analytics community and and in the more mainstream to be fair uh, average position maps that's always fun isn't it when you look at those and some of them you would struggle to put in any kind of formation wouldn't mm. you especially when you you know you're watching a Liverpool or someone and <laughs> Roberto Firmino has been deeper than the two centre midfielders for most of the game on his average position yeah. map um, how do they work how do they put those average position maps together uh, fairly simply, really, it's it's all based on on-ball events, which is the key point which we can come on to. But every time the player touches the ball, um, whether that's an attacking action, defensive action, it logs it and you get the XY coordinates. So essentially the location on the pitch of yeah. where that was. Um, and you just aggregate it all together, get an average of where those actions were made. And that is the player's average position, which... I think sometimes when you see players almost on top of each other, um, it can be a little bit misleading. The passing, yeah. the, the passing networks, um, which is what these these are, very well established yet yeah, within football analytics. Um, they are very useful for the most part, but they can be, I guess, susceptible to error slightly. An example of that might be that a player might be playing left wing for, and we saw it a lot with. Um, with England um, the, in the women's Euros, that Lauren Hemp and Beth Mead would be sometimes swapping wings, right? During, yeah, especially yeah. the first half of games. Now, if you were to sort of create an average, it would look like they were maybe somewhere in between the, the middle. Playing up or front. Playing, yeah, or playing a far, playing in a position that wasn't representative of what they were actually doing, which was switching wings. Mm. So sometimes it can be a little bit misleading. Um, yeah. And as I say, it only looks at on ball events so when i said about that odegaard example where they'll arsenal tuck into a 4-4-2 it completely will disregard that they might be still offering value off the ball but their average mm. position isn't actually shown because they've not actually 
having a, an event on the ball so it doesn't actually log yeah. in. Yeah. So there's, there's, it's a good indicator, but not necessarily the be all and end all to show what they were doing on the pitch. It can be quite interesting sometimes though, can't it? When there's a was the drastic change within um, the average positions from like the first half to the second half, for instance, and it shows that they, you know, they pushed the wing backs a lot higher, or they were sitting a lot deeper, or whatever. There, there are some things it can kind of tell you sometimes, which is quite interesting to look at. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I think that the, the passing network graphic also shows yeah. the strength of the connection, it being a network between certain players. Mm. So if you can see it geared far more towards maybe the left-hand side from the left centre-back to the, the left wing-back yeah. or full-back and the, the left central midfielder, you can see, uh, if you weren't to have watched the game, you can see that that team look, really looked to try and expose the opponent's right-hand side by really ge- giving the ball more towards the left. So it does give a flavour as to what has happened within the game. But as we often say, and you know we've spoken about before, there are so many, in general, advanced metrics to be able to understand what happened within the game. And it's a good tool to be able to look at it. This question is probably quite redundant, uh, considering the fact we've just said that formations don't mean anything in lots of ways. But if you were a manager and you had your tactical philosophy, are there any things that you think you would definitely try and implement? So, for instance, like I personally think I'd always try and have three central midfielders because I was watching England last Friday, obviously play against Italy, and having the two central midfielders albeit that they were Declan Rice and Jude Bellingham, both very good players. You've already mentioned Jude Bellingham mm-hmm. being sort of versatile and box-to-box. But it felt like they were just completely overran mm-hmm. in the middle of midfield, didn't it? Regardless what role they were playing, it looked like Jude Bellingham didn't know what role he was sort of meant to be playing, whether he was meant to be deep or if he was sort of meant to be driving mm-hmm. forward. But then he obviously kind of left Declan Rice quite exposed when he did. So it always feels to me like whether you're in possession or out of possession, I would always want three central midfielders, one of which being... Least, at least one of which being a defensive midfielder. I always like the idea of having a, a, a sort of single pivot defensive midfielder and then two central midfielders to do what you want with them, free ace, etc. But I think that would always be a non-negotiable for me. Do you have any of those? Yeah, well, just thinking off the top of my head now, I, I totally agree with that. I think probably just as an aside, I went a bit too strong on our formations redundant. I probably, <laughs> is it, I mean... A quote from Mark Carey, formations don't mean anything. Yeah, a bit too strong. It was more of a thought <laughs> experiment, as I say. But I do think it's a, it's a valid question. And you think about like four four two being historically or you know less used now but historically a, more of a common formation that issue might not necessarily have been one had it been playing against another side that also has two in the field if that yeah. makes sense but then would that even reinforce your point even more to say if you do have three in the field then you will then overrun the opponent if they had two if they have three then at least you want to match the number of, of midfielders they have because otherwise you yeah, will get yeah. overrun so i do think it's a valid point um I'd probably go along with that, to be perfectly honest. I'd, I'd say that. You'd, I'd probably want a team with a lot of width as well. Yeah. Um, I do like the idea of a, a 3-5-2 for that reason. Um, but then again, it just depends on the opponent, doesn't it? That's what I think is really interesting. We've spoken before about sort of active managers who are more likely to take the game to the, the opponent and just have their philosophy, their way of playing. And the more reactive yeah. managers like a Carlo Ancelotti or maybe a Jose Mourinho who is going to adapt their, maybe their formation, their style of play, depending on the opponent, try and expose their weaknesses and minimise their strengths. So I don't know also then which man- which type of manager I'd be. Would I be someone who's a bit more reactive than necessarily your way? I don't know. But yeah. I think without necessarily pinning my colours to the mast, 
I do think I like the idea of the way that Guardiola does do it, where you can mm. still have like protection within the middle of the pitch without necessarily having three midfielders who are going to maybe stay in that area yeah. from sort of yeah. the, the counter the counter attack. And one way, obviously, to do that is what he does quite frequently to have his his fullbacks kind of tuck into more central areas, such that if they mm. were to lose the ball, they've still got the the numbers basically there to to not get overrun or counterattack through kind of central areas and leave the the center backs exposed so i'd probably say that could be a good tactic within that as a bit of a nuance but yeah i'd say three i i do like the idea of having a single defensive midfielder in sort of two three eights as we we say in the modern day because otherwise you do get yeah. overrun and it's so obvious otherwise you're just shooting yourself in the foot aren't you and there's just a lack of creativity i mean three center backs anyway and then two wing backs who don't play as attackers is it's just a lot of defenders yeah. isn't it and which I think is what in that England game I was referring to it felt a little bit like that's how it was even though Saka obviously tried to get quite high and it didn't quite work and um, yeah it just didn't really work did it but yeah it's all interesting no which doesn't bode well for the World Cup at all maybe that's another thing we should do in advance of the, the World Cup we've got to do some World Cup previews haven't we because it's you know this past few days has been all thinking about international football it's not too far it's only a matter of weeks until we think about the, really the World not. Cup so I do think this sort of conversation as well thinking about formations and how you can adapt in such a short mm. space of time within a World Cup could be crucial so an evergreen episode I think that we've just recorded Ryan but um, how relevant it might be to the, to the World Cup coming up absolutely well that's definitely something we can look into uh, in the future um, I'd say our bank of things that we should have spoke about but haven't spoke about till certain episode thing that we mm. keep going on about it, maybe we're running low now but formations definitely does seem like a biggie we missed but I'm glad we did that because uh, yeah it was good fun that one um, I wonder what else we haven't spoke about that is an absolute glaring obvious one maybe if the listeners can think of anything they can let us know yeah, at this moment absolutely. we left we left managers oh hang on refs refs is something we can uh, do definitely at some point refs. very soon hopefully yeah, yeah definitely refs yeah. I mean as I said, we've spoken about formations in different sort of guises mm. before, but there's so much to go from, even with the managers thing as well. We could still talk about if a four-four-two set up against a four-three-three, where would the advantages be? We mm. sort of kind of just alluded to it then. If a three-four-three was to set up against a four-five-one, mm. whatever, um, so much more you could do with formations. Absolutely. Um, well all food for thought and uh, listeners as ever get in touch and tell us what you want us to talk about you know where you can do that you can get in touch with us on email we are fanalytics.pod at gmail.com or you can follow us on social media and get in touch there we are at fanalyticspod Mark thank you very much for your time uh, let me know if there are anyone in the street who call you over and say are you Mark Carey from the Football Fanalytics podcast because that's the next step they'd have to hear me um, first <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, oh, well, they'll see you hobbling in along and they'll be like, it must be him. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much for listening, everyone. Have a great rest of your week and we will see you next time. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.